Welcome, welcome, welcome in Slump Busters. It is your host, Juju Talk Sports, joined not by Drew Hagenbaugh, but we are joined by another. We are joined by Andrew Homan. Yes, another Drew for you. For the first time ever, welcome to the team, Drew. Tell me, why do you love fantasy football? I love fantasy football. Uh, I've been playing it since I was about 14 years old. My dad got me into it. I've been playing in a family league since then. Jumped into a bunch of other leagues. Won a winner-take-all league when I was about 16, and I've loved the money, and I've loved having fun ever since. I can attest to this man's fantasy football knowledge. He's kicked my ass a time or two, and I think he'll be a huge help to you if you're trying to win your league this season. So stick with us at the Slump Buster Podcast. Drop below in the comments, why do you love fantasy football? And without further ado, it's time for your random fantasy football sports fact of the week. Wow, did you know that? Now live on the Slump Buster Podcast, random sports fact of the week. There are many ways to interpret the Tyreek Hill trade from a fantasy perspective. However, one of the most mainstream thoughts is it will never work because Hill and Tua don't have a compatible skill set. Hill had 25 targets in 2021 of 20 plus air yards. In Miami, Tua only attempted 29 passes of that distance all season. This stat may be misleading when you look a little deeper. Tyreek's speed makes him a threat to stretch any defense vertically, but historically, his average depth of target says this is only a small part of his game. Out of 81 qualified wide receivers, Hill finished 62nd last season in that category. Those 25 targets mentioned earlier were only 15% of his total target share for the year. Mike McDaniel will be bringing a San Francisco-style offense to Miami that never challenged teams vertically. San Francisco under Jimmy Garoppolo threw passes of 20-plus yards on less than 10% of attempts. Tua matched Garoppolo in that category last season and was ranked 7th in completion percentage. All told, Tua and Hill might not be the mismatch the casual observer thinks it to be. The Slump Buster Podcast. The Slump Buster Podcast. The first quarter starts now. The quarterback carousel continues to spin in early 2022. Last time we talked was following the Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson deals. A couple more shoes dropped in the NFL trade market recently. Matt Ryan, after 14 seasons, will no longer be a Falcon. Indianapolis acquired Ryan and Trey for only a third round pick. This after they ousted Carson Wentz after one lone season. Andrew Homan, will Matt Ryan continue to be a draftable asset in 2022 with the change of jersey? He'll be a draftable asset but he's not going to be a starting caliber quarterback. He'll be a great quarterback too for a team though. The way I look at it, can he just be as good as Carson Wentz? Carson Wentz last year, uh, depending on which format you looked at, ranged anywhere from quarterback 15 to quarterback 17, which obviously if you're in a two QB league, you could streamline some value out of that. But Matt Ryan himself on a points per game basis was quarterback 30 last season. So not good. Kind of disgusting, honestly, when you just look at the raw stats. Matt Ryan has been on a deep decline ever since that 2016 MVP year. And I don't know if he has that magic still in him. What are like some pluses that you could think about Matt Ryan going to the Colts from the Falcons? You think it's a New Jersey new man? I think that the weapons in Indianapolis are a little bit better for him and better suited for him. First of all, he'll have a Jonathan Taylor there, who obviously is an upgrade from... Mike Davis and Corderell Patterson. Uh, Nyheim Hines should have a much better year with Matt Ryan than he did with Carson Wentz. Matt Ryan targets the running backs a lot more than Carson Wentz did. 
Michael Pittman is also a huge option for him, along with Paris Campbell, who I think could be very good this year. So you think he does do a good job of making the weapons around him better? In fact, that's a good comp. Does he make the weapons around him better or worse than they were a year ago under Carson Wentz? Nyheim Hines had a horrible year last year after having a great year the year before. I think that Carson Wentz absolutely destroyed his value as a receiving running back, and I think Matt Ryan has the capability of bringing that back. I think that's definitely something within Matt Ryan's skill set at this age to do some dump off passes to the running back. Absolutely. I think it's interesting to see what Mo Alley Cox could do in that offense with Matt Ryan as well. When you look at the weapons between Atlanta and the Colts, I agree with you they're better, but I don't know if they're drastically better. I like Michael Pittman, but I don't think he's a special type of wide receiver. He has had big games in years past, but he still is kind of more on that wide receiver two fringe. So I kind of wonder if Matt Ryan is the best quarterback to utilize him. He is a big body wide receiver. I guess if we have a little flashback to what Julio Jones was, granted Julio Jones was also terrible in the red zone. I, I think anyone that owned him during that stretch and we had, which he had what, 20 plus games without a touchdown uh, can tell you that not exactly your ideal red zone option was Julio Jones. There is the flip side of this curious what you think of Carson Wentz in Washington Carson Wentz or Matt Ryan in vacuum if you had to make a decision between those two quarterbacks so I've got Matt Ryan as my quarterback 19 and I've got Carson Wentz all the way down at 28 for this next season wow 28 that is a drastic drop like I said he was still middle of the pack last year 27 touchdowns seven interceptions and you have him dropping all the way to bottom third quarterback Yep. Is that basically just saying, I don't want to draft him? He's not my guy? Well, I certainly don't want him on my team. I think he's also going to very much hurt J.D. McKissick this season. The same as he did Naheem Hines. Hines. Yeah. If he killed Naheem Hines, then you would have to think McKissick, a similar type of build at running back, would also kind of feel that effect. Matt Ryan, at best, fringes on a quarterback 20, quarterback 19. Even if you look maybe a couple years back to um, Philip Rivers being there, it's like, can he be as good as Philip Rivers was for the Colts during that run? Rivers on a points per game basis wasn't much better than Matt Ryan was though last year. He was quarterback 29, I believe in 2020. Whereas obviously I mentioned again, Matt Ryan was quarterback 30 on a points per game in 2021. Don't know if the veteran assets are necessarily what's going to keep Indianapolis afloat if they continue to build on this quarterback market. Let's start taking a look at some younger guys on the quarterback uh, carousel as it continues to spin. Let's talk some Baker Mayfield. Um, Question is, how much longer can you be a Brown? It's been three weeks since we did that update on Deshaun Watson getting traded to Cleveland, and yet Baker Mayfield's still in Cleveland. I think a lot of people just assume that they either had a trade lined up or they were going to cut him, but if you listen to what that front office is saying, they're content to just holding on to him at this current point in time. From a dynasty perspective, because I don't think from a redraft perspective, a lot of people are looking at Baker Mayfield as someone they necessarily want. From a dynasty perspective, how do you view Baker Mayfield? Is he someone that you want to hold on to? I would have no interest in having Baker Mayfield as my dynasty quarterback too, even. I would be looking to get rid of him in any format. What if I told you that he ended up getting cut and picked up by the Pittsburgh Steelers? You're Pittsburgh Steelers, Andrew Holman. I don't know that he can beat out Mitchell Trubisky, but we'll see. That is true. You guys signed... Mitchell Trubisky for $10 million. That's a real game changer in the quarterback market. But I don't think Mitchell Trubisky and Baker Mayfield are that different of a quarterback. When you actually look at Trubisky a couple years ago for the Bears, he actually had some decent fantasy performances. Baker Mayfield, his best 
fantasy season, I think was his rookie season when he set the rookie record in passing touchdowns. Ever since then, if you've been a Baker Mayfield owner, it's been mostly disappointing. I, I think he tops out around quarterback 16 on an average year, and that's just not good enough to get it done. Okay, so let's go from the redraft perspective, because there's not that much teams that are still looking for Baker Mayfield. Seattle is the only one that comes to mind. If he ends up in Seattle with those receivers, you have DK Metcalf, you have Tyler Lockett, you have no offense. Is there any interest in pursuing Baker Mayfield? I think they've absolutely got to be interested in pursuing him. I think well, you Carolina, as a fantasy owner, would you be interested in pursuing Baker Mayfield if I told you land in Seattle with those weapons? I think he could be a decent quarterback too if he ended up in Seattle. Not so much if he landed in Carolina, but I think that he would help the receiving options in either location. Well, to talk about his mutual disinterest in Carolina, Carolina doesn't seem that interested in getting into the Baker Mayfield market. If Baker Mayfield doesn't seem that interested in landing in Charlotte, Yes, Bakers can't be choosers, but Baker seems to have planted his flag on not wanting to go to the Carolina Panthers. Would be an interesting dynamic, certainly for Colin Coward, getting to see Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield share the same uniform. I, I don't think that that's a move that we even have to worry about. If he landed in Carolina, okay, you got DJ Moore, you have Robbie Anderson. We're disappointing last year, but disappointing for the right reasons. Disappointing because their quarterback was disappointing when you consider Sam and you consider Cam Newton were the ones throwing them the ball. Uh, Terrence Marshall was a guy that a lot people targeted last year and were hoping that it would have been a rookie breakout, but um, never performed as that third wide receiver in the offense. Uh, so I don't think Baker Mayfield's that guy to unlock any of those guys. Uh, maybe he could find some sort of rapport with DJ Moore, but DJ Moore is just good. So hopefully it's just DJ Moore could find a rapport with anyone. Um, if Baker landed in Seattle, I agree with you. He's quarterback two range. I don't think he's going to have a transcendent season. There is the low key upside, the Seattle's defense and Seattle's team is so bad that whoever that quarterback is, be it Baker Mayfield or Drew Locke might have Blake Bortles style potential. But if it's Baker, I don't see it. I don't see him taking the risk and airing it out and just going ham for 50 points in a game. Based on the Baker Mayfield that I've known throughout his NFL career, it doesn't seem like he's that style of quarterback. I think I agree with you there 100%. The last major point of discussion, and this one hits near and dear to me as a San Francisco 49ers fan, is the Trey Lance Jimmy Garoppolo discussion. If you look at early drafts, a lot of people were just shooting Trey Lance up the average draft position. Everyone was just expecting, hey, this kid's going to be the starter, right? Jimmy Garoppolo basically had a farewell press conference, but latest reports, uh, Ian Rappaport has suggested the Niners are cool if they have Garoppolo on their roster another season. And I have mixed emotions about it. I, I think that Jimmy is a fine enough starter in the NFL. In fact, he's a starter in the NFL. I will say definitively he is a starting level quarterback in the NFL. And if he played for this Niners team next year, they might still be a playoff team. Trey Lance, I can't say for certainty what he is because the fact of the matter is he's a mystery box. We don't know what's in the mystery box. Maybe it's Josh Allen. Maybe it's another Jimmy Garoppolo. Maybe it's something worse. But Trey Lance obviously offers a certain level of excitement to not only 49ers fans, not only NFL fans, but certainly to fantasy owners because he is marked as a dual threat quarterback. If I told you week one, Trey Lance was starting, what round do you think he gets drafted in? I think he would get in a 12-team league, drafted in about seventh or eighth round. And that would probably be the speculation more than anything, right? He'd probably be similar to what Jalen Hurts was viewed as last year. 
Yeah, I've got him as my quarterback 13 going into the season. So even with the doubt, you still have him kind of on that borderline where you think that it's more likely than not that he's a guy you want to draft. With that said, not knowing where he's going, where are you drafting him, Andrew? I like him right around pick 85 to 90. If he's one of those quarterbacks that's still hanging on and I've drafted the rest of my team and passed on quarterback, I'd be happy to take him. If Jimmy Garoppolo is still on the roster by training camp, does that concern you? I think that Jimmy Garoppolo at that point would be a great backup for them. I don't think they'll let him compete for the starting job. I don't think you let your backup also make $25 million. That's a fair point. That's probably the biggest pushback. If Jimmy Garoppolo's there on that roster by training camp, again, you've proven you could go to the Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo. You've proven you could go to the NFC Championship game with Jimmy Garoppolo. In Kyle Shanahan's coaching tenure, he's 37 and 13 or something insane with Jimmy. Well, he's merely eight and a lot of losses, eight and a lot of bad games without Jimmy Garoppolo. So if you're Kyle and you have both these quarterbacks in your roster, you know for a fact you could win games with Jimmy. You don't know how many games, but you're probably going to win more games than you lose. I think if Jimmy is still on the roster, it's going to be too much temptation for Kyle Shanahan to not play him. I think that Trey Lance would be the starter regardless, but I think that if Jimmy Garoppolo is still on the roster, leash might be a little bit shorter. I would say if I have to handicap it right now, I would say it's probably 80% likely that Jimmy Garoppolo is the starting quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers week one. I would disagree and give it about a 20% chance, but respectfully disagree. So we are on polar ends of the spectrum there. But but again, I'll tell you, I'm plugged into this Niners beat. I know where all the drama is. I know where the darkness of Niners Twitter lies. And it lies in this Jimmy Garoppolo, Trey Lance debate that just will not cease to end. Boy, I, I would love to be a fly on the wall in the 80s and hope that Twitter existed in this alternate universe when Steve Young and Joe Montana were on the same roster. The fact that Steve Young had to wait for four years and people are freaking out about Trey Lance waiting a year. Come on, people. (laughs) Greatness takes time. These guys are on fire. Let's hear more. Second quarter starts now. A quiet offseason at the running back position continues. We only got a couple headlines to cover in this section and both relate to the Tampa Bay backfield. The first big thing, playoff Lenny, like Tom Brady, is back in Tampa. Fournette inked a three-year, $21 million deal with the Bucs. Following this, Ronald Jones is ditched lining up next to Brady to operate with Patrick Mahomes. Jones lands in Kansas City on a one-year deal. Drew, who is the biggest winner and who is the biggest loser from this set of transactions? Leonard Fournette is absolutely the biggest winner. He now has one less person to compete with in that backfield for touches. He will absolutely be a great RB1 this season. And I'm I'll go counter to you with the biggest loser. It's easily for me, Clyde Edwards, the lair. The fact that Ronald Jones is going into that backfield, Ronald Jones, if nothing else in Tampa was their version of the goal line back, he got more of the work in the red zone and where has Clyde struggled throughout his NFL career, where has Clyde failed to capitalize? Exactly where he should be one of the best. So if you're drafting Clyde Edwards, or at least you were drafting him in the second, third round, usually going into the season because you gave him the benefit of the doubt of being an Andy Reid running back. Now with Ronald Jones there, if I'm drafting him in the second or third round I'm kind of not feeling good about that I'm kind of kicking myself because I'm drafting a guy that loses goal line potential and may also lose first and second down carries that just doesn't sound like a good recipe for success it doesn't sound like the workload you want from a guy that you're drafted to be your running back too 
I honestly don't know going into this year if I would prefer to have Edward Zolaire or Ronald Jones on my roster. I feel like the speculative ad of getting a guy with at least the possibility falling into the end zone a little bit more enticing than to go after a guy like CEH who just hasn't been productive. Even in the passing game, CEH hasn't been as productive as you like. He's a smaller back. We're hoping that he was just going to be, again, kind of similar to a Jamal Charles type, a guy that would just get those wheel routes, get those screens and just take off. But we haven't seen that same burst, that same explosiveness. He's been hurt. He's suffered injuries. He suffered a case of the fumbles, which also is a thing for Ronald Jones. So if you're Andy Reid um, and you have both your running backs struggling with fumbles, it's a backfield that I kind of almost want to stay away from just by virtue of it being such an unknown. Contrary to that, the Tampa Bay backfield has a little bit more definitive answers. And yes, Giovanni Bernard also signed back to stay in Tampa, but I don't think that's as much of a problem for Fournette because Fournette was getting a lot of the passing down work and was a pure running back one up until he suffered that hamstring injury. But our are you concerned that now with Ronald Jones gone and last year's production, people may jump on Fournette a little bit too high? I think that's possible. I actually have Fournette as my running back six going into this next season. So I may be one of those jumping a little too high on him, but he finished last season as the seven running back in fantasy points and fantasy points per game. He also had 84 targets, 69 catches. He was incredible last season. What about a guy like Giovanni Bernard? Is there any interest there? Because I know you were interested in Keyshawn Vaughn. Seems like Keyshawn Vaughn's just gone now. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if you told me the Bucs still drafted another running back. I wouldn't be surprised if they drafted another running back. I think he could still be a good running back. He showed flashes last year in Fournette's absence while still playing behind Ronald Jones. I just don't know what to expect from him. I think the Bucks kind of gave an answer that they signed two running backs ahead of him on the roster to eat up touches because you would think Keyshawn Vaughn's a guy that's going to be more involved in the passing downs. Well, Leonard Fournette also was involved in the passing downs. He's a three down running back for the most part. And Giovanni Bernard, if you are going to play him, you're going to play him purely as a guy to catch passes out of the backfield. So you have two guys who catch passes ahead of him. If some injuries happen, okay. I mean, Fournette's not too unaccustomed to having an injury in his career. Giovanni Bernard is gaining up there in years. He has to be over 30. It feels like he's been in the league forever. He so is 30. I would, he is exactly 30. So he's in that golden years for running backs. So I would have to think that Keyshawn Vaughn in an injury situation would be someone that's going to possibly show up on some streaming waivers at some point during the year. But going into the draft, not someone that I think you can leave on your roster unless you're an extremely deep, talking 14, 16 team league. Yeah, he could be a good insurance policy for Fournette in a deeper league. Outside of that, I would probably leave him off a roster. And it's interesting that you mentioned having Fournette as running back six. Fair to have him ranked there, but I think it's also a product of this question I have for you. Is there truly elite running backs or a wide range of elite running backs going into this year's fantasy season? I think Jonathan Taylor is absolutely an elite running back. I think Christian McCaffrey, when healthy, is absolutely an elite running back. But there um, we have it. There we outside have Outside of that. We're, we're starting to get to that point. Tier starts to drain really quickly because if you just start to list it off, CMC, injury. Dalvin Cook, injury concern. Derrick Henry, first major injury of his career. 
Zeke banged up last year, had an MCL injury. Saquon perennially hurt. And Alvin Kamara, even he got a little bit banged up and he even banged up some heads in Vegas. So all <laughs> these guys have their own share of concerns. Seriously, though, Alvin Kamara, it's not like he's completely out of the water there. He still might face some serious charges on that. So there's a lot of uncertainty when you look at these guys. And these are the guys that you are drafting in the first round. And I don't feel good about any of them. I think the most definitive answer is one of one is Jonathan Taylor. But beyond that, who are you drafting with the number two pick in a draft? It's tough. I think last season out of the top 20, 25 running backs selected, only about five of them were solid, escaping injury issues and things like that. It's tough to draft running backs. It allows you to make a decent case for drafting receivers earlier and earlier. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever been a zero RB guy just because I always leave draft day and I feel better about my team if I at least know I have some dudes, some dudes I can trust at running back or at least people that make the decisions week to week, not as hard. I can just look at my lineup and say, if he's healthy, he's starting. If he's healthy, he's starting. And we know how thin the running back position gets. That's part of the problem. It gets so thin so quickly behind these guys, as much of big names as they are, then you're still just taking wildcard flyers. Like we're hoping Javante Williams is good this year. We're hoping a guy like Michael Carter might be good this year. I'm taking some speculative ads on the Miami backfield. Nick Chubb, you know, he's going to be good consistently year to year, at least we think. This might be, who knows, the first year that he kind of starts to show some sort of regression because these guys are starting to age out, unfortunately. This is where you start to just realize running back's a tough position. Guys age out quick. Really sucks for a guy like Saquon, who's really extremely young. Yeah, but look at Todd Gurley. He's 27 and he's already aged out. Yeah, no, and Todd Gurley is a perfect example of guys that just are gone too quickly. The candle that burns too bright. And some of these guys may be that. I I really think out of the group, uh, if I'm looking at the number two pick, I guess I'm going Derrick Henry and I'm just hoping at that point, he's just built different. I'm just hoping that he can progress from this injury and just kind of shake it off that it doesn't become a reoccurring thing. The problem is when I think about foot injuries, I keep getting reminded of a guy like Greg Olson. Second, he had a foot injury. It just never seemed like he was able to get right. And when you look at how Derrick Henry plays and how can you trust a foot injury on a guy that moves like that at that size with that speed? It's tough. I've got to drop Derrick Henry down my list just a little bit. Guy I love this year is Austin Eckler. He had a little bit of injury issues last season, but not not so bad. And he was able to come back and finish strong. I feel very good about him this year. You always value a guy that could catch the ball out of the backfield. And that's why, again, too, CMC is always someone that you would love on your roster. But I had my first real taste of gain the luxury of having CMC on my roster last year. And I hated it. I, I really, really hated it because it wasn't just that he was hurt. He was one of those guys that was hurt and gave you a glimmer of hope of coming back. Story of his life the last two years. Um, yeah, it's been painful to be a Christian McCaffrey owner the last couple of years. So like other guys in that tier, you know, I mean, you're, you're looking at guys like, okay, Cam Akers coming back. You talk about a guy like Damian Harris out of New England. He's probably going to be in that second round of running backs. AJ Dillon, Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones is an odd guy. I think we always kind of dismiss Aaron Jones in some weird way, but now he's practically the only guy in Green Bay that I think Aaron Rodgers trusts. I think you're absolutely right there. He's going to get his touches this season. He'll be not a first-round pick, but an early second-rounder. He might make a case because if I'm looking at these other guys, you know, Cordell Patterson, that might just be a flash-in-the-pan type season, and obviously they're going to have a bit of a drop-off at quarterback going from Matt Ryan to Marcus Mariota, or at least we think. 
who knows? I mean, Marcus Mariota is a little bit more mobile. Uh, maybe that might be helpful for this Atlanta offense with a bad offensive line. Marcus Mariota could be interesting. I don't think he'll be a good fantasy quarterback, but it's possible he's got the ability to run around. I mean, if he can utilize Cordell Patterson in the same way, I mean, Arthur Smith, he clearly likes a bell cow running back, going back to his time in Tennessee and how he used Derrick Henry. And then you look at last season, how he used Cordell Patterson for the Falcons. Cordell Patterson, is he a guy that's going to get drafted too high for your comfort? Absolutely. He's going to be picked before I would want to pick him. What about a guy like DeAndre Swift? Can DeAndre Swift pull out first round production this year? You're probably going to get him in like the second or third round. DeAndre Swift could be good. I think that if he's healthy and plays a full slate of games, he's absolutely going to produce first round value. I would have him going in the second round. What are you doing with Zeke? What am I doing with Zeke? I'm not doing anything with Zeke. He's not not going to be on any of my teams. Tony Pollard, RB1 in Dallas? I don't think that Jerry Jones is going to let Tony Pollard be the RB1 with as much as he's paying Zeke. Could see Zeke ultimately gain the lion's share of the carries? And by lion's share, I mean 51%, while Tony Pollard's gained 49%. Because if you're Dallas, you know what's better for your offense. You see how the offense moves when Tony Pollard's in the lineup. I would give... Tony Pollard more of the instrumental carries. And I don't know if I'm up like 30 to six in a game. Here's Zeke, you want 20 touches? If Tony Pollard was the lead back for a team, I would feel great about drafting him. Unfortunately, he's got Ezekiel Elliott in the way. David Montgomery, Chicago. We'll see what Eberflus brings to that team. Obviously a defensive-minded guy. I imagine a defensive-minded guy likes to pound the rock. And maybe that's good for David Montgomery. He's a guy that's consistently put up like running back one numbers, missed a few games with injury, uh, but kind of gets pushed to the side. Last year, say what you want about Matt Nagy, but the running game was amazing for the Bears. What are the most slept on running games in the NFL? Uh, One that I'm going to keep hammering to people is draft Miami Dolphins running backs. I think the Miami Dolphins are going to have one of the most improved running games in the league. And you're going to get some of these guys at good value. Raheem Mostert, Chase Edmonds. I I think these guys are going to go extremely late. And when you just look at the San Francisco offense from last year, what Mike McDaniels likes to do, San Francisco was a top five offense in terms of rushing attempts and they were top seven offense in terms of rushing yards bring that over to miami improve the offensive line add some speedster running backs that also applies to another guy we're going to talk about a little bit later here tyree kill he's probably going to see some rushing work i think the miami dolphins is going to be a very slept on backfield that you might be able to steal some production in that if you are a guy that's going to wait on running back if you're not comfortable about all those guys at the top i think that's where you kind of like make your money That's absolutely true. There are a lot of good options like Rashad Penny, Damian Harris, Miles Sanders, who are going to be available late. Saquon Barkley, another guy. I'm not a big fan of Saquon Barkley. He's just too injury bitten. Just not a guy that seems like he was touched by the hand of God, right? Absolutely. Just no luck. The Slumbuster guys are killing it. Half done. Third quarter is beginning now. Wide receivers have been moving all over the league this offseason and being paid handsomely to do so. None more than future Hall of Fame speedster Tyreek Hill. Hill is taking his talents to South Beach after Miami dropped five draft picks and $72 million guaranteed to do so. Tyreek has consistently been a late first, early second round type pick for fantasy players the last few years. Andrew Homan, does the move to Miami change where you're drafting him? 
Only slightly. I still love Tyreek Hill, even in Miami. I have him as my wide receiver five, and I think he's absolutely a great option. I think he's a great option. The question, I guess, turns into he was a guy that you were drafting in the late first round, early second round. Does he maintain the ability to be a guy who's still drafted in the first round? I don't know about the first round, but I don't see any way he escapes the second round. That's probably appropriate value. At worst, going to fall to the middle of the second round. I don't think he goes any further than that because he's still Tyreek Hill, right? He still has the home run speed that NFL GMs drool over. In fact, that's why, of course, Chris Greer in Miami was drooling over the possibility of gaining Tyreek Hill, dropping a ton of draft capital, dropping a ton of money to acquire him. And I mentioned in the running back segment, I, I think the perk to Hill going to this offense Offense, going to a Mike McDaniel run offense, I don't think they view him as just a wide receiver. I think they might view him as something more. I think they might view him kind of like a wide back as Debo Samuel turned the phrase last season. The thing that I'm learning about the Miami backfield or the Miami offense is they value speed. So I think they don't really care about what position to play. It's what attributes you bring to the team. And I think Mike McDaniel cares about getting a guy that whether he's catching the ball 50 yards downfield or just blowing past guys with blockers in front of him, Tyreek Hill can do some special things with the ball in his hands. Go back to the 2016 season when he was working with Alex Smith, doing great things out of the backfield, doing great things as a special teams player. And of course, again, a widely acknowledged elite wide receiver. I think we're going to go back to him doing Doing a lot more stuff like that because you're gonna have to manufacture things as opposed to Kansas City, where Mahomes could just get you the ball anywhere on the field. Tua can't really do that, but Tua can get you the ball. Tua was a top seven guy in terms of completion percentage. He gets his the ball, and then it's up to you guys to do what you do with the ball. I think Tyreek is still gonna have plenty of opportunity. You don't go out there and acquire a guy for all these draft picks and not use him. So I think he's gonna have a lion's share of the touches. It's gonna be interesting what it does to Jalen Waddle, though. Jalen Waddle got 25% of the target share last season and finishes a top 15 wide receiver in points per game. Are you concerned about Jalen Waddle regressing in his sophomore season? I don't think he'll regress talent-wise, but I, in fantasy football terms, he's not going to be the same guy. He'll still be a very good fantasy receiver, don't get me wrong, but he will not have quite the target share that he had last season. Talk about where Tyreek Hill kind of places amongst the elite guys. Let's talk about him versus another guy who got traded this offseason. Tyreek Hill or Devontae Adams? I like Tyreek Hill, but not by much. I think Devontae Adams is still going to be a great option with Derek Carr. What about a guy that got a big payday, Tyreek Hill or Stefan Dick? I still like Tyreek Hill. I think that Stephon Diggs is down a couple notches, um, but he's still also a great receiver. I think he may be a little bit better this season than he did this past year. What about the prototype that I compared Hill to just a second ago, Debo Samuel. Debo, who emerged from nowhere last year to become a bona fide wide receiver one for most owners. Trey Lance is what scares me with Debo Samuel just a little bit. I'm not sure what to expect there. I still like Debo Samuel, but right around where I like Stephon Diggs. So you're still very high on Tyreek. That's what that tells me. Hell, I don't know. You might be making a case for him to slip into that first round. You might, you might. Tell me some wide receivers that you have over Tyreek. I've got three, Cooper Cup, Justin Jefferson, and Jamar Chase. Okay, so two LSU guys and Cooper Cup. Okay, makes a lot of sense. You see those guys, elite talent everywhere. You look at Minnesota, his value is not going to fall off. They signed Kirk Cousins for another year. So, I mean, Kirk knows how to at least get Justin Jefferson the ball. In Cincinnati, of course, Jamar Chase, all the trust of Joe Burrow. And Cooper Cup isn't going anywhere unless an ACL injury or something of that nature takes him off the field. That's the only thing that stopped Cooper Cup in his careers. And it's certainly not going to be Eli Apple that's going to stop him.
But yeah, Jalen Waddle, okay, then you don't think he's going to fall off much from his play, but, you know, top 15 wide receiver last year, where are you grabbing him? Where, what round are you comfortable grabbing a guy like Jalen Waddle, who's obviously, again, is not going to get a 25% target share. That's the big thing. Right. I've got Jalen Waddle as my wide receiver 16. Um, I think he'll probably go in the fourth round. Okay. So, I mean, if the pie is, let's say 20 to 30 passing attempts in a game, uh, where do you think that falls for Jalen? Tyree Kill, what, we're going to assume he's probably going to get 20% of the production? I think it goes down from where he was. I think it's going to be similar to Tyree Kill, but I don't think Jalen Waddle is quite the receiver that Tyree Kill is. I'm very intrigued to see how they kind of divvy up that work because Tua is going to want to get his elite guy the ball and he's going to feel some pressure to do that. But at the end of the day, we all need a safety blanket and that has to be uh, Jalen Waddle considering their success last season. I mean, uh, he set a rookie record for receptions. Clearly Tua trust him uh, going back to, I guess, you know, of course you have the Alabama connection there. So they've worked with each other for quite a while uh, where Tyreek is this new yet to be developed piece where it really comes down to is I'm just hoping for the creativity of McDaniel make it work for both guys if I was to compare this to San Francisco would Jalen Waddle then be the Brandon Ayuk I think that sounds like a pretty good comparison but Um, that's not a good comparison if you're Jalen Waddle based on Ayuk's production last year I think that's true I think that Jalen Waddle is definitely a better receiver than Brandon Ayuk though if we're gonna take parts of that offense he needs to have almost a mesh of whatever targets in the offense Kittle was getting as well as whatever targets Ayuk was getting he has to kind of be in that midpoint of those two receivers and tight end but if he accomplishes that then he's going to return some of that value I would just be worried about drafting him too high based on I I think he's going to fall off a little bit that's where I kind of look at Jalen Waddle going into this year the Um, other thing to think about in that offense is you've also got Miles Gaskin Chase Edmonds and Raheem Mostert all three running backs very capable of catching the ball and it's going to be a run first offense. People see all these pieces getting acquired and just think that it's going to be bombs away in Miami. No, it, it's going to be a run first offense. It's going to be the zone running scheme offense. So it's just an evaluation of how much opportunity do you have? If Jalen's still getting like six to eight targets a game, I, I think you're going to be fine. You're, he's probably going to be at worst a wide receiver three at worst a flex play at that point not where you drafted but you can live with it you're not gonna kick him out of your lineup he might be a good high floor guy he might be one of those guys that you're happy with his floor every now and again you're just gonna be wow he put up 30 points wow he put up 40 points wow what what's going on with Jalen Wall today obviously though let's talk about the Kansas City side so Kansas City they lose Tyreek Hill and they make two free agent acquisitions they get a guy named Juju Smith-Schuster and they get another guy named Marquez Valdez- Gantling. If letters on the back of a jersey started counting for fantasy points, get all the Chiefs wide receivers you can. MVS, Juju, which of these guys goes first? Which of these guys do you like better? Can I say none of the above? Wow. Kelsey is still the wide receiver one by virtue in Kansas City, but someone has to catch passes, right? Are you more of a meet Cole Hardman guy? Josh Gordon's still hanging around there. Well, it's not going to be Josh Gordon, but I do like Juju Smith-Schuster a little bit. I like him a little bit better than Marquez Valdez-Scantling personally, although I do think Marquez will be a good receiver there. I just don't know how good any of them is going to be for fantasy. The way I look at it is MBS probably has a more comparable skill set to Tyreek because what was Juju's biggest draft 
um, knock going into his time with the Steelers. He was slow, slower than the other guys at the combine. I think he posted like a four, six or four, seven, which for a NFL wide receiver is slow, fast for a normal person, but slow for an NFL wide receiver. And that was one of the big things that hampered him, but he found a solid role in Pittsburgh. Obviously he was your guy's possession wide receiver. He was, he had good hands, uh, capable out of the slot. Um, he's probably going to operate in a similar role for Kansas city where Juju has an opportunity to succeed is last season we saw the too high safety be the big bugaboo of the Chiefs offense very early on in the season as teams started doing more and more and more eventually Patrick Mahomes finally adjusted to it and started taking things underneath that's where a guy like Juju could probably make his money Tyreek was a large target share in Kansas City so someone has to replace that production are you thinking at that point it's really just going to be the aggregate I think we might see a new conversation after the draft if the Kansas City Chiefs draft somebody at wide receiver. But I do think that Juju Smith-Schuster could be a good option. I think he would fit kind of an Anquan Bolden mold and be a great possession receiver. Could be a valuable fantasy asset, but I wouldn't be drafting him early. Juju, when he was in Pittsburgh... And I think this is why a lot of people feel snake bitten by him is after AB left, people started drafting him to be their wide receiver one. People were thinking that they were going to get AB level production from him. But another thing that should be equated for is the fact that Ben Roethlisberger the last couple of seasons absolutely sucked. <laughs> no, offense. absolutely. That's where people look at Juju and think, wow, he's losing Big Ben and he's getting Patrick Mahomes throwing the ball. Doesn't that give you a little bit more optimism? A little bit, but I, okay, I'll take it. I like him with Travis Kelsey a little bit, but the problem is, is that Juju Smith-Schuster plays more like a slot receiver, kind of in the same area as Travis Kelsey. They need somebody on the outside to really open things up for that offense. I guess that's where MVS comes into play, but the problem with MVS is he did have a future Hall of Fame quarterback throwing the ball in Aaron Rodgers, and he failed to really capitalize on Aaron Rodgers' trust over his tenure in Green Bay. It starts with the fact that he had a lot of key drops on those deep balls. Aaron literally had him on pinpoint accuracy, and I, I've seen that guy miss a couple huge instrumental catches, and I kind of wonder if that's going to be the same story as he moves to Kansas City, but certainly he is a guy that could take the top off of defense. It's just going to be a matter of can he come down with the ball, and at the end of the day, none of them are really taking over for Tyreek kill but i still think there's something there i would say the difference is hopefully i get these guys at good value i'm not jumping at these guys like if juju's going in the third round fourth round fifth round that's my no zone sixth round seventh round okay okay i'm hearing you okay that's where i think those guys kind of slide in for me as the Seattle teardown continues, though, another big story is coming out of the Seahawks camp. DK Metcalf has been on a lot of offseason discussions to be traded. Now, we mentioned the possibility of Baker lands there. Do you like his wide receiver weapons? But if DK is not there, obviously, that's a huge loss for the offense. I mean, we're talking about a guy that's had double-digit touchdowns each of the last two seasons. And if he keeps landing in the end zone clearly establishes value as a wide receiver one. The most popular rumor as far as where he could land, though, is the New York Jets. And last season, Zach Wilson was one of the least accurate quarterbacks in football. So do you think getting that man a big body freak like DK Metcalf can help Zach Wilson's development? I think it can help. I don't know what to expect from Zach Wilson. I don't think he's going to be a good fantasy quarterback himself. I think that DK Metcalf would still be a decent asset there in New York. Would you like DK Metcalf more 
if he landed in New York, or would you like him more if he stayed in Seattle with Drew Long? I like him better in New York. Elijah Moore with the Jets last season showed a lot of promise. That said, a lot of that was with other quarterbacks other than Zach Wilson. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, that is something that the Jets offense seemed to almost take off more when Zach Wilson was not in the lineup. We briefly remember the Mike White era was one of the most amazing things in New York since Jeremy Lin was playing for the Knicks. White mania. White, careful, <laughs> okay, man, careful. Edit, edit you might, might want to run that back. <laughs> edit that one out. <laughs> edit that <out. laughs> Elijah Moore, though, kind of suffers from a similar position that Jalen Waddle suffers from if DK Metcalf was to go over. Elijah Moore did get a 19% target share, and that's why he jumped into being a wide receiver one, high wide receiver two value towards the end of the season. If DK lands there, there's an obvious expectation, again, that you have to get the big acquisition, some targets. This is a big year for DK regardless. Um, You would assume that if he got traded to the Jets, it would come with the expectation that they were going to offer him an extension playing in new york um while playing for a contract not a lot of recipe for success with the new york media kind of wonder if a guy like dk can take it considering that he's been getting ripped by seattle media i can't wait to hear what the new york media has to say about his trying out for the olympics and things like that do you see his diet can we talk about his diet a little bit the three bags of candy one meal a day you see a guy that's that ripped and he tells you that that's what he's eating it's kind of a dangerous thing because you know that some guy who's on the couch is watching that and thinking oh boy you know i was only eating one bag of candy but you look at that guy he's so ripped three bags it is for me linda get me more skittles linda get me more skittles that's the danger to a guy putting out that diet plan to the general public it's not realistic he may eat three bags of candy but he also works out probably like 20 hours a day that's how you get a one percent body fat he's still one of the most insane human beings there is regardless of what happens in fantasy football i hope he's joking about three bags of candy and he says it's the lifesavers he says gummies are kind of like thing and I, i know there's theories that you might get a carb boost from pounding like gummy bears that's something the bodybuilders always talk about but no guys this is not one of those fad diets that i'd recommend to anyone andrew you've worked around a hospital or two tell the people out there three bags of candy is not a recommended diet strategy if you want to live a long happy healthy life don't eat three bags of candy a day it sounds like tooth decay and a foot missing waiting to happen oh it's diabetes on its way do you want to be wilter brimley do you want to be Walter Brimley? <laughs> the diabetes. Don't do it. Fantasy football-wise, I agree with you. If you landed with the Jets, I might like it better than if you played with Drew Locke in Seattle. From the standpoint that what was one of Zach Wilson's claim to fame is coming out of BYU, that he was a gunslinger, that he liked to throw the ball deep. I think about what does DK do well? He likes to run in a straight line and catch the ball deep. That's one of DK's best feats. That's one of the things he does best as a wide receiver in the NFL. So if he can do that, fine, because you look at Seattle and Drew Locke can do similar things, but Drew Locke also always overthrows his guys. It's one of the most infuriating things going back to watching Drew Locke tape that, yeah, he does have the deep ball, but he almost misses his guys deep. Maybe Zach Wilson could harness that in the second year. If he doesn't, then a lot of people are going to get fired in New York. That's what seems like around the corner. I would love to see if Zach Wilson can develop with Elijah Mitchell. Or, or I keep saying Mitchell. Elijah Moore and DK Metcalf at wide receiver. 
Having those two guys at wide receiver couldn't hurt. They also have Corey Davis for what it's worth. Three top tier wide receivers. If you can't get it done at that point and you're Zach Wilson, then maybe you're seeing ghosts on the field and maybe you're the next Sam Darnold. <laughs> and now starts the final quarter. Buckle up. Buckle up. This is the Slump Buster Podcast. All righty, there has been no major changes in location for some of the league's best tight ends, but a change in position is the most pressing for fantasy purposes. Taysom Hill will reportedly focus on tight end as the Saints enter their first season without Sean Payton. This report came shortly after the Saints signed Jameis Winston back on a one-year deal following an ACL injury. The current quarterbacks on the Saints roster include Winston, Andy Dalton, and Ian Book. Drew, do you think this is smokescreen or do you think this is a true position change for Taysom Hill? I think it's smokescreen. They are paying Taysom Hill way too much to be a tight end. If you look at the Niners struggling to pay George Kittle a couple years back and you look at what Taysom Hill is currently making, I agree with you. But for fantasy purposes, if he is going in as a tight end or purely focusing on tight end, then that's a plus because you remember two years ago when ESPN decided to give him tight end eligibility while he was playing quarterback. That was one of the most unfair things, if not for just a couple of weeks, because even though he wasn't a great quarterback, he's still playing quarterback. That's at least a 10 point swing when you compare the other tight ends in the league. I mean, we're talking about three tight ends tops that you can count on on a week to week basis. If a guy is at least putting up 10 points, which is easy for most quarterbacks to do in the NFL. Hey, I say it's unfair, but at the same time, if you're the guy that owns Taysom Hill, keep on keeping on. Am I right? I absolutely got in an argument with a friend of mine over whether Taysom Hill should be able to be played at tight end a couple of years ago. I did play him at tight end and I won that matchup. It was a pretty sure thing as far as if you were able to get him first on waivers in an ESPN league and take advantage, then by all means take advantage. But should that be factored into the discussion when you're talking about who should I draft this year, especially at tight end? Because if you miss on the top guys, you're really just throwing darts. So where does a guy like Taysom Hill fall in a ranking now that you have to consider, well, what if he ends up playing quarterback on any given week? I still can't justify putting him on a roster. I don't think he's the small chance that he could end up playing quarterback is worth holding him. Okay. I, I can see where you're coming from there because- He's not going to be the full-time tight end either. Is he going to be in on 80% of New Orleans play calls? I doubt they give him that level of snap count. No, I can't imagine they will either. And you look at the possibility of him playing quarterback. They have Winston on the roster. Winston is going to be recovering from the ACL injury. So whether he enters camp fully healthy or not is still to be determined, albeit he seems to already be doing those weird Jameis Winston type exercises. So he seems to be back to full health. I, I think I saw him chasing neighborhood kids to get his workout in. Great core work there, Jameis. <laughs> Andy Dalton, though, signing, I think is the game changer. And I think is one of the big things that probably led to Taysom taking a more of a backseat because if you sign Andy Dalton to be your backup quarterback, Dalton is still a capable starter for a bottom third NFL team. And him being your backup, that's a lot of roadblocks to Taysom Hill seeing playing time. Even Ian Book being on the roster is a capable enough quarterback to take away from the possibility of Taysom Hill starting in a game because Ian Book's at least been in the system for a couple of years now. New system too. Without Sean Payton, uh, I think that's another thing to consider because who was the one that was advocating so strongly for Taysom Hill all these years? Sean Payton. 
Sean Payton was the one that saved him from Green Bay. Sean Payton is the only one that's been able to make a guy like Taysom Hill work, much to the chagrin of anyone who's owned Alvin Kamara, because around the goal line, Alvin Kamara in the backfield, Taysom Hill at quarterback, one of the most frustrating exchanges in the league. We talked about vultures. Taysom Hill is at one the top of the list. <laughs> the last thing I'd say on Taysom Hill is they've still got Adam Troutman on the roster there, and he may or may not be a capable tight end, but they've got to at least give him the chance. Yeah, you don't draft a guy that high and have a guy who's part-times at quarterback, moonlights at quarterback, take snaps away from him on a consistent basis. At the end of the day, the reason Hill moving to tight end is so exciting is, is because we lack a number of elite tight ends. Gesicki wasn't a great tight end on a points per game basis but did finish as tight end 11 last season he finished with the fourth most targets at the position 111 just behind mark andrews kelsey and Ertz. and for the same reasons we talked about Jalen waddle we have to mention how does this affect mike gesicki he had a 20 percent target share now he has to compete with hill and waddle how can we still look at Gasicki as the same guy? Hill and Waddle and Edmonds and Mostert and Gaskin. I mean, there's so many players who are going to be trying to soak up targets. And don't forget about Cedric Wilson either. It's going to be hard for Gasecki to carve out nearly the same target share. He's a great player, had 112 targets last season, but that's got to go down and his receptions are going to go down. He's still going to be a good tight end but maybe closer to tight end 10, tight end 11. The sad part about the position is that still means you're probably drafting him relatively high against his peers. Yep. Name some guys that you have ahead of him. Where where do you have Gasicki ranked? Uh, I've got him right ahead of Dawson Knox, right behind Dallas Goddard, Zach Ertz, and TJ Hawkinson. It's interesting having Dawson Knox behind him. Do you think Dawson Knox is mostly affected by OJ Howard landing in Buffalo? I don't think that helps. I don't know how much that hurts, but I just don't know how great I feel about him this year. You know, a lot of people are still trying to figure out too where Gronk fits into all this. Gronk, um, the last time he talked was saying that the only place he would play in the NFL was Tampa. But here we are, we're entering Gronk Watch Day 69-69. If he plays this season... Where do you think he'll rank amongst the pack? I think if Gronk plays, he'll be right around tight end five or six. I'd say six or seven. He'll be behind Kelsey, Andrews, Waller, Kittle, and Pitts. But after that, you wouldn't be wrong to put Gronkowski at six. That is just knowing Gronk's legacy, knowing Gronk's connection with Brady, because Gronk is a shell of the tight end he once was, but he's still going to land in the end zone and he's going to land in the end zone enough to elevate his value amongst, again, all these guys that it's just, you know, I mean, come on. Do I want to draft Gronk or take a shot on Evan Ingram again? In the number of times I've taken shots on Evan Ingram. It's enough to drive me insane. Jacksonville's taking a shot on Evan Ingram this year. Doug Peterson is there, and you know, he loves to utilize tight ends in his offense. He does. I, I think that may be a product more of who he had on his roster. Zach Ertz, Dallas Goddard. Dallas Goddard is one that I also go back and forth on, and I've given him a lot of opportunity, but never have felt the full joy of owning him. If you decide to wait on tight end in your drafts, Dallas Goddard is a good option. He's certainly not on the level of those top five or six guys. And those top five or six guys, again, just to recap, um, Kelsey, Kittle, Waller, Andrews. And Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts. Yeah, of course, Kyle Pitts. wonder if he's going to get wide receiver eligibility at any point considering how much they line him up out wide. If Jimmy Graham didn't get it, I don't think they'll give it to Pitts either. It's kind of frustrating going back to the 
<laughs> Taysom Hill discussion. It's like Debo Samuel's legit getting five to six touches out of the running back position. I can't play him at running back, but I can play Cordell Patterson at wide receiver. Come on. <laughs> Come on, Yahoo. Come on, ESPN. Come on, that's, every other platform. That's fair. Devo Samuel had 59 carries last season. And I'm sure Kyle Pitts is going to have a number of snaps on the outside of his respective offense. So Absolutely. get with it. Positionless football. Get with the times, <laughs> Yahoo. Get with the times, NFL.com. The problem with the Atlanta Falcons is he might be their best wide receiver by a large margin right now. The problem is also, is Marcus Mariota going to be good enough to get in the ball on a consistent basis? Like, who are Marcus Mario's prime beneficiaries when he was a starter in Tennessee? You didn't really even use Corey Davis to the fullest of his abilities. No, Corey Davis struggled mightily in Tennessee. Eric Decker, I think, kind of overlapped with his time that sounds like it's probably the best option he had Richard Matthews was one of his top wide receivers hope there was a lot of Richard Matthews owners out there Doriel Green Beckham Delaney Walker okay maybe the problem is too also is some of these some of these wide receivers are also pretty mediocre Harry Douglas Marcus Mariota <laughs> breakout season Kyle Pitts 100 targets you heard it here first folks it's coming you learned with us. You laughed with, you us. Laughed with us. Now it's time to do some deep thinking. Hashtag bust the slump with your weekly words of wisdom. We are recording here only a day removed from the Dwayne Haskins tragedy. Haskins, a former first round pick, was 24 years old when a vehicle struck him. He was in Florida training with teammates when the incident occurred. Sad truth is, I know too many people in my own life who have died way too young. Youth is fleeting and life is short. You might as well strike hard. Anything else is average. That's a quote from the artist Henry Rollins. And while, yes, we can look down on Dwayne Haskins' career relative to his peers, all Adam Schefter, he made a dream happen by even suiting up for an NFL team. I still think about the joy of him getting drafted in that bowling alley with his family. And sympathy to all those people today who lost a son, brother, friend. My point, Haskins struck harder than most and was anything but average, even by becoming what he became. It's a shame we didn't get to see if his career had a second chapter to it. Use this as a reminder that tomorrow's not guaranteed. Strike hard. Drew, obviously you're a Steelers fan. What did you first think when you first heard the news? Losing Haskins hurt. It was heartbreaking. When we signed him, I was very hopeful that he could have a career renaissance, whether or not it was with us. It just hurts to see a guy who was trying to revive his career lose his life like that. I think absolutely it's a good reminder that life is short and you need to take advantage of every moment you have. Guys, go out there, accomplish your goals. Hit up a friend you haven't talked to in a while. Do something with your day that you can be happy about whenever you put yourself to bed at night. Dwayne, prayers out to your family. Prayers out to you. Never fun to have to end a podcast on a note like that, but it's always good to get that reminder out there thank you guys for tuning in we're trying to make our own impact on the world and if it makes your day entertains you and helps you in your life certainly helps you in your fantasy league then that's a reward in itself for us uh, stick around with us help us grow give this a like a five-star review follow our social medias from andrew homan drew hagenbaugh will return and juju talk sports stay safe happy and healthy and we will see you next time